Well, amen. Good morning. Happy New Year. 2016, can you believe that it's here? 2016, wow. Uh, Some of us, it seems like the years are changing kind of like the months used to change. Uh, I remember there was a time where it took me a while to get used to kind of writing the new date down, and now I almost write it before it gets here. So time is uh, rapidly passing us by, it seems. Uh, God has been good. And uh, I'm excited about some things that he's done in our lives and, and our family and our church in the past year. Uh, there are still, well, there's still in my heart at least the belief that the best is yet to come when it comes to all that God has in store. A lot of changes took place over the past year, did they not? We'll talk about some of those in just a moment. Um, some of us, we saw change place because our families grew. Uh, Some of us just grew ourselves. There's a little bit more of me than I wanted to be when 2016 got here, so I'm hoping that there'll be a little bit less of me by the time 2017 gets here. So some of us changed by addition, some by subtraction. Some of us lost loved ones in 2015, and so there are bittersweet memories uh, of that. All kinds of changes have taken place uh, over the past year. Now we get ready for a new year. Uh, The thing about the celebration of a new year is it brings fresh excitement for what God has in store It's a restart for so many of us. Uh, There are seasons of life that we go through, some of you are in, even now where things seem to be changing very rapidly. And uh, we want to know what the Word of God has to say about the difference that's being made in our lives. And so this morning I want to ask you to turn with me. We're going to begin a new study of the letter, the epistle of 1 Corinthians. So let's open our word together. Let's stand as we open it to 1 Corinthians. If you wonder where 1 Corinthians is, it's easy to find. It's right before 2 Corinthians. See, some of you knew that, and so you found it already, right? After Romans, if you turn to the middle of your New Testament, you might land in Romans, but after Romans, you have this letter to 1 Corinthians. We're going to call this study the difference. This will be kind of an introduction today to Uh, this epistle of 1 Corinthians, but I want us to think of it in terms of as we face a new year, what's different? What's going to be different? What difference does it make that Christ is in you? And Christ being in you, what difference do you make in the world? What difference does it make? Look at verse 1 with me, and we'll read the first nine. Paul, Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and our brother Sosthenes. God's church at Corinth, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called as saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus, that by him you were made rich in everything, in all speaking and all knowledge as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, He will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By Him you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we thank You for this, uh, just an exciting introduction to this letter that Paul gives. Even though in so many areas there's going to be confrontation in this letter, we realize that there are some uh, theological facts that have been established that we can understand even today and get excited about. 
because of the change You're making in our lives. Lord, as we embrace a new year, help us to have a new passion for You. A new passion for Your Word, a new passion for reaching our world with the love of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, what changes took place? Well, top news events of 2015. And all of them reveal that the world is a different place. And most of them were not good news. Most of them were tragic stories. Here is what the news sources list as the top news stories. I didn't write all of them down, but I have several. The top news stories of 2015, of course, the Paris attacks. First at a, a satirical newspaper office at the beginning of the year, and then later, of course, the tragedy that took place on November the 13th not only in the theater, but in surrounding areas. All told, nearly 150 people in Paris lost their lives to these terrorist attacks. And if you've noticed, leadership in France kind of has a, a new and different attitude than what it was a decade ago. Our world has changed, and there's been some wake-up calls to that. Uh, controversial shootings were listed as one of the top news stories, or many of the news stories, uh, the balance of respecting law enforcement, um, discerning where certain shootings were justified or not, public relations, all that were all of those kind of uh, combined to form one of the greatest overall news stories. The, the Charleston church shooting, it was uh, uh, one of the top stories, along with the other mass shootings from Chattanooga to San Bernardino to Oregon, just Things that remind us, wow, we live in a different world today. Your children, your grandchildren are growing up in a different world. The world has continued to change, and we may not like most of the changes. The European refugee crisis, another reminder that our world is changing, and it's a different place today. One of the biggest changes that I had to deal with was the Supreme Court ruling. The Supreme Court, we might say, changing even the definition of marriage. Our own president changing his opinion on what the definition of marriage should be from that which he stood on when he ran for president. Uh, I've got news for you. God didn't change his opinion. It wasn't God's opinion. It was truth. And, and God hasn't changed where he stood on that issue, but certainly... Our nation has changed in a major way when it comes to that whole idea of sexual identity. Bruce Jenner changed. Uh, we don't recognize the fellow that we saw on the Wheaties box when I was a kid. Um, he now goes by the name Caitlin. Still Bruce to me, just needs a lot of prayer. But goes by the name Caitlin now. That was a lot of change. A lot of changes happened in the world in, in 2015. Uh, some changes happened over a long period of time. Some just came to fruition in 2015. Some had to be changed just like that. One of the top news stories was that Steve Harvey had to change his mind on who Miss Universe was. Or he didn't change his mind. He had, just had to change who was wearing the crown in a, an embarrassing moment. Changes happen quickly. Changes happen over time. Did you change? Did you change spiritually? Did you grow spiritually? Did you change socially? Build some new relationships for God's glory. Heal some old relationships. Are you changing with the culture? Are you changing in a way that feels like you 
believe this morning puts you in opposition sometimes with the world around you? How did you change? As we look at this series, as we introduce this series of uh, study of 1 Corinthians, I want us to begin to think in terms of how are we different? How are we different from the world around us? What difference has Christ made in your life? What difference has He made in my life, and if he has made a difference in your life and in my life, as we study this letter together, what difference are you making in the world because of the difference Christ has made in you? Now, 2 Corinthians was written to follow up 1 Corinthians, and so as we study 1 Corinthians, rather than doing a second series on 2 Corinthians later, we're going to supplement. There will be a lot of verses from 2 Corinthians, a lot of passages from 2 Corinthians that will help us better understand what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians. So we will use 2 Corinthians as kind of a supplement. It'll be a commentary on 1 Corinthians. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Thank you. Glad some of you remember that. Best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And so 2 Corinthians even brings further understanding to 1 Corinthians. And so we will uh, incorporate many of the passages of 2 Corinthians as they relate to what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians. When we think about this, Paul's writing to Corinth, and I'm going to make a, uh, several comments concerning uh, introducing this, and then uh, I'll give you about three takeaways before we leave this morning. Corinth, Paul's writing to Corinth. What was Corinth? Paul had planted a church in Corinth. Paul had responded to a Macedonian call that moved him into a new direction, into a new area, uh, a new church planting ministry here, and one of those churches was in a city called Corinth. This was a city and a time we would call a pre-Christian era. You know, for, for the past few decades, we had begun to describe, even in our own nation, this as being in a post-Christian, some call it post-modern, but even a post-Christian era, an era where Judeo-Christian values had almost been totally left behind by the majority. And, and today, it's becoming more like not a post-Christian era, but even a pre Christian era, uh, almost like folks have never heard of Christ, heard of the gospel, heard of the Bible. I can mention, even in a Bible class, uh, to college students, certain themes of Scripture and say, how many of you have ever heard of that? And sometimes 100% will, be, will give the response that they have never heard of the biblical doctrine that I'm presenting to them. So Paul had started this church in the Roman province of Achaia there in the city of Corinth. It was about 45 miles from Athens. And you're thinking, well, we're only about 10 miles from Athens. But Athens, Greece, was really a lot like Athens, Georgia. It was a university center. It was a philosophical center. And some of that had kind of uh, been a part of what the culture was like in Corinth. There were certainly the, the philosophical aspects of it. But it was also a, a blue-collar city, a strategic port city. As a matter of fact, had it not been for that isthmus where Corinth was located, the southern part of Greece would just be an island. It's kind of connected uh, that northern region to the southern region and the two seas on either side. So it was philosophical, but with a lot of traders, a lot of sailors, because of the trade and, and, and transportation as it was at that time, uh, things would have been carried through the city of Corinth in every direction. Everything went through Corinth, it seemed. A military city because of its strategic location. 
All that comes with being a military city, even like today, those of you who have served in the military kind of know what things grow up around cities that are military towns. It was home to the temple of the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. But it was not agape love, it was eros love. As a matter of fact, it had become a place where so many of the pagan temples had incorporated um, temple prostitutes. And so even in the name of religion, there was all kinds of sexual immorality that was taking place and, and being tolerated and embraced and even celebrated. That was Corinth. In fact, one of the biggest insults for a young lady was to be called a Corinthian girl. If a young lady was sexually active, if a young lady was promiscuous, they would refer to her, oh, you're one of those Corinthian girls. So this was a city much like many of the cities in our own state and nation today. The church at Corinth was failing to be different. They had received the gospel, and in so many ways that gospel was being attacked by people who would pervert it from either side, but they were failing to be in so many ways different. So Paul is writing them to confront their differences. Pastor Keith Krell writes this. He says, imagine with me a church racked with divisions and factions. There are preaching cults where church members favor one particular preacher over another. Imagine a church filled with sexual immorality. Some of the members are visiting prostitutes. One church member is having an affair with his stepmother. Sounds like the Jerry Springer show. Imagine a church where believers don't work out their problems. Instead, they sue each other in secular courts. Imagine a church where debates rage on rage on topics like Christian liberty, men's and women's roles, prophecies, and speaking in tongues. And top it off, imagine a church where the Lord's Supper is abused and a significant number do not even believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was Corinth. Corinth was failing to be different from the cultural around them. They had embraced the gospel message. They weren't experiencing the change in so many ways. My prayer for you during this study, this new year, 2016, as we get a new start, is that the right, I'll say that word again, the right difference will be seen in you. The right difference will be seen in me. That you will also, as a result of that, be making a difference in your world as a result. So how can we do that? How do we avoid falling into this trap? Can we learn from the warnings of the Apostle Paul? Can we be a little proactive this morning? Can we have a preemptive strike before we become known, before you would become known as a Christian who is no different from, from the secular culture, before I as a preacher would give in to some of the temptations to just go along to get along? Before we would ever go in that direction, how can we determine, what can we see in these first verses that lay a foundation to say, hey, let's embrace this and now so that we don't always have to be reminded of it after it's too late? How can we be different? How can there be the right kind of change in you and in me? And so he starts with three basic fundamental truths concerning our existence as a church, our existence as Christians. These things are elementary in our faith, but sometimes we overlook them. 
And the first and most important one is simply our salvation. Our salvation. See, that we had received the gospel because of the grace of God. We have a new and we have a different life. As we face this new year and you begin to make new resolutions, realize it goes back to the day that you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you became a recipient of God's grace in your life. It's in our salvation that we all have a new and a different life. Look at verse 4 again. He says, I always thank my God for you. See, Paul, even when he has to do a lot of confronting, he always comes across somewhat diplomatic and winsome in his approach. If he gets right down to the point, that means they've really did something wrong sometimes. But he says, I want to let you know, I thank God for you. Why? Because of God's grace. God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus. So thank God for His work of grace in your life. Even in His greeting in verse 3, He says, Grace to you and peace. Paul would often introduce himself that way. He would begin with grace. Grace, God's unmerited favor. It's that that. Charis, uh, it's why my daughter's name is Charis. Grace, the, the, the grace of God, the gift of God. It's because of God's unmerited favor, His blessing in your life that you have been saved, not by your works, not by anything that you did, not because you kept all of your New Year's resolutions. It's by God's grace. By God's grace, we have this new and different life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by Grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it nor deserve it. By God's grace were you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, a gift of God, not by works or we would brag about it, he says. But as a result of that, we are his workmanship. See, grace lays a foundation to say it's going to work itself out in our lives. This unmerited favor we didn't earn, we didn't deserve, but because Jesus Christ so loved the world... Everything we celebrate at Christmas, that Christ who came, was born and laid in a manger, would live a sinless life, would die on a cross in our place, sacrificing himself for us. Our sins laid on him. The wrath of God poured out our sins while laid on him. Christ laid down his life that we might experience grace. Rose on the third day that we might be set free and live the life that he gave us to live. Paul had changed. He is Referring to himself first, Paul called an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. He's saying God's doing something in my life. I am now one who is sent by God, the one who used to persecute the church, the one who was a terrorist toward the people of God, who terrorized the Jews. Now look what God has done in my life. He has saved me. He has changed me. What terrorists need around the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got missionaries on the front lines in underground churches around the world that we need to be praying for. There are Christians in nations, uh, Islamic nations today, who are being greatly persecuted for their faith. One thing's for sure, the gospel of Jesus Christ can reach and change anybody. We need to be praying for a great move of God around our world today. Paul was changed. He was different because of the grace of God. This grace had led to a peace with God, a peace that he had received, a peace that he wanted to extend. Now there would be two enemies, and as we kind of look through uh, this study of 1 Corinthians, we'll discover there's a couple of enemies to grace and God's changing work in your life and in my life. One is kind of on the extreme of legalism. The Judaizers would come in and say, grace is not enough, Jesus is not enough. You need to add all of these works 
You need to add all of these rituals to what you're doing if you're truly going to experience salvation and have uh, a secure eternity. And so that was one extreme. And on the other extreme, there would be the attack of the the more uh, liberal crowd. We might say there's the legalist on one side and the liberal or the libertine on the other side that would come in and say, you don't really need to heed God's word in this matter or that matter. You might put it this way. One group wanted to add to the Scriptures. The other group would want to take away from the Scriptures. And so one group would say, you can be just like the rest of the world. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And then we use grace as a license to sin. When we think of Romans, what Paul wrote to the church at Rome in chapter 6, what shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how can we that have died to sin continue to live in it? And so there's got to be a new identity. There's got to be a change in our life because of the grace of God. I remember watching the movie this fall. Many of you saw it. If you haven't, I encourage you to go see it. It's the movie War Room. It's really a movie that emphasizes prayer, but also certainly emphasizes the role of family and church and, and how God can work in somebody's life. And in the movie, there's a particular scene where this guy who's really struggling with making things right with his family and, and, and getting his heart right with God, and all, he's really struggling. He's, he's in a weight room working out with one of his Christian friends. And this Christian friend is kind of confronting him a little bit. Uh, this, uh, this Christian friend is played by uh, a Christian comedian by the name of Michael Jr., funny guy. And, and so as he's kind of confronting him on his uh, neglect of his spiritual life and his marriage and all of that, this guy's like, man, I, I don't want to hear all that, and you don't need to be messing in my business. You need to leave me alone. And with an attitude, he kind of puts the weights down, and he grabs his bags, and he begins to walk out of the gym. And he looks back, and he says, I'll see you in church. And his friend says under his breath, I'd like to see the church in you. You know, sometimes we think, well, as long as I'm going to church, as long as I'm part of corporate worship, as long as I keep God happy and preacher happy and everybody else, everything's A-OK. But is God doing a work of change in your life because of His grace, by His grace? Is that evident as you gather with family over the holidays, especially those of you who might have family who's not active in a relationship with God, active in a local church somewhere, were they able to see a difference in your life, other social gatherings? When you go to work, do they say something's different about you? When you go back to school, do your school friends recognize, you know, there's a difference in you. Well, I, I go to a Christian school. Because everybody's saved in a Christian school, right? Do they see a difference in you if you are? Do do they see Christ at work in your life? Do you have a new and a different life? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's our our salvation. It's so basic to the change. But there's without Jesus, I've seen it worded this way before, no Jesus, no change, no, no change, no Jesus. If Jesus is in your life, changes begin to take place and, and all of a sudden there are new loyalties. And so that moves us to our second takeaway from this passage this morning. And that's not just our salvation, but our service. Our service to God. We have new and different loyalties. If we've been changed by God's grace, we've encountered His grace, and we have a new life, then all of a sudden with that life comes 
new loyalties, new passions, those things where we want to get involved and serve and be used of God and make a difference in the world. And so we begin to read about that in verse 5, that by him you were made rich in everything. In all speaking, now when he says rich in everything, he's not talking about you ate your collard greens and black eyed peas on New Year's Day and so you had all the cash and all the change that you needed for the year. Now, Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to your, His riches and glory, so don't worry, He'll take care of His people as they honor Him. But that's not what He's talking about here. What is He talking about being rich? He's talking about, man, God has, because you have came to that place where you've trusted Him as Savior and Lord, He's come to live inside of Him of you, you now have everything that you need to serve Him. It's all been placed in you by His Spirit. And, and so it should... Work itself out as Philippians. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't, by working out, he didn't say, try to figure out whether or not you're saved. That's not what he was talking about. When he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling is God has put something wonderful inside of you. The grace of God, salvation. And he says, as a result of that, it's time to, it's mining language. Begin to work that out, develop that out, discover the treasures that God has placed in you, and begin to serve Him and put those things into practice. You have been given gifts, he says, so that you do not lack, verse 7, spiritual gifts. And so we'll spend a lot of time looking at the spiritual gifts, especially in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will also confirm you to the end. He says, God, God's doing a work in you. He's, he wants to work it out of you. A significant portion of this study will be how we relate to one another in the community of faith, how we serve one another, and how we serve our community and the people around us. How do we minister to those outside of the church? How do we discover and appropriately use our spiritual gifts. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? If they're more than one, everybody has at least one, but do you know how God has gifted you and enabled you and how He can and desires to empower you to serve Him? Are you finding a, a joy and a contentment in life because you have found that thing which lights your fire and says, yes, that's what I want to do for God. And I can't help but do anything else. I want to do that for the glory of God. Using that gift. I read this week an article on millennials. I think someone here had shared that on Facebook. An article on millennials and how hard it was for millennials to keep jobs and why so many millennials get fired. <laughs> so young people, you may want to read the article or listen to this a little bit, it's that they start off very young wanting benefits. They want a lot of benefits right off, right out of college, right into the job. They want benefits. They want flexible hours. They want to be able, right out of school, to be able to do what they enjoy and set the framework for that. And for some it happens, but for most, you spend a lifetime working toward that. The more experience, the more education, the more knowledge, and the, the more maturity that you gain, the more opportunities you create, the more options that most of us eventually will have. But millennials want benefits. They want flexible hours. They want to do only those parts of the job they enjoy, and they don't want to have to do those parts of a job that they don't enjoy. And as a matter of fact, they will often say, that's not my job. That's somebody else's job. And see, the problem with this millennial attitude is with 
with the generation that's coming along behind me and even part of my generation. We take that same mentality and we incorporate it into kingdom service. We don't want to commit. We don't want to do the hard things. We, we want the church to be available for us. We want certain privileges and we want certain benefits from being a part of the church but we don't always want to roll up our sleeves, find our spiritual gift, and do those things that are hard things. Some of the greatest joys will come in your life when you begin to learn. A couple of young men, the, the Harris brother, Josh Harris's younger brothers wrote a book called Do Hard Things. You learn to experience greater joy, greater contentment, greater satisfaction when you learn to do hard things. So when we begin to see that the work of the kingdom is hard work, but we have to depend completely not on our own strength, the power of God, we learn the importance of yielding to His Spirit to do those things that God has called us to do in the church. And rather than saying, what are the benefits, what are the blessings, Pastor, can we have flexible hours? We say, I'm ready to get to work. Ready to get to work. Church, I believe Tom Rayner titled his book, Simple Church. Church can be simple. But that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean Christians should be lazy. We should see our kingdom work as a great priority. So what difference has Christ made in your life and how is it seen in your service to Him? Do you have new loyalties? Do other people look at you and they realize, you know what, they are faithful to Christ. They are faithful to His kingdom. They are faithful to His church. And they want to be involved in His work here and around the world. And then finally, this other theological term that's used in this passage that lays a foundation. And one of those words that we say, we don't use that word anymore, people don't understand it. But it's the word sanctification, our sanctification. We have new and, and different longings. So Paul is going to deal with the subject of sanctification, and he introduces that right here in this text. He says, I'm going to deal with this issue of sanctification because for you to understand those changes to have new and different longings in your life, you must be engaged in embracing this whole idea, this concept of sanctification. What is that all about? He says in verse 8, He will confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. How is that? God is faithful. By Him you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's through a fellowship, through a koinonia, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, as you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, from the inside out, God will be changing you. Remember that song you sang as a kid, those of you who are my age at least? From the inside out, God's working on me. From the inside out, I hope he likes what he sees. On the outside, I might not look so good. But you might be surprised if only you could see me from the inside out. God wants to change us from the inside out in this process of change by the Spirit of God at work in our lives is called sanctification. He has called you into fellowship with His Son so that His Son can begin to transform you. This is your most important relationship. If you have a New Year's resolution to, to have a better marriage, awesome. If you have a New Year's resolution to spend more time with your kids, that is wonderful and you need to do that. But all of us should have within our convictions to say, I want to spend more time with Jesus in 2016 than I did in 2015. I want to enrich and enhance my fellowship with Christ, a rich and sweet and wonderful friendship with the God of this universe. And so he reminds them of the basis of this new longing when you go back to, to verse 2, the church at Corinth, the word church, ecclesia, 
called out ones. We're called out to be different. To those who are sanctified. The word sanctified means to be set apart for His purposes. The word saint, called as saints, is also in the root of the word sanctify, holy ones. In other words, to be sanctified is to be made holy, set apart for sacred purposes. There is an initial sanctification. When you got saved, you were sanctified in that you were set apart for His purposes. And in the eyes of God, through the blood of Jesus, you became as holy as Jesus is holy. Saved, sanctified, as holy as Christ is holy because of the blood of Christ. Positionally, but practically, you have to grow in sanctification so that who you are positionally is who you are becoming practically. You're becoming more like Christ. That's a process sanctification. And finally, one day, praise God, there will be a final sanctification, which is glorification when we have a new body and we're made just like Jesus. And that day we will be saved forever from even the presence of sin. Right now we are being saved from the power of sin. We have already been saved from the penalty of sin. So sanctified, set apart for His purposes, being made more like Christ. You might be different and blameless in this world. So, Paul in 1 Corinthians is going to confront some behaviors. He's going to begin to, to, to take kind of that hammer and, the, and that chisel and chip away those things that don't look like Jesus. Those things that don't reflect His glory in the world. The whole question of carnal Christianity comes to mind. There are many who would say that, well, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. That's an oxymoron. Those are contradictory terms. And they are contradictory terms. But Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, is confronting a group of people that he will tell later, you were all baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. These are people who the Spirit of God has come to live inside of, and he says, you are making carnal decisions, you are making fleshly mistakes, and you are backsliding into sin. And there are some things that you need to change, things that need to be made right in your life. So yes, there's such thing as carnal Christianity. There's too many warnings against it in Scripture for it not to exist. Now, do I believe that a lot of people who are calling themselves carnal Christians are really lost? Absolutely. A lot of people, the problem is not that they need to get right with God, they need to get saved to start with. But we don't change without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We don't change without confrontation of biblical truth. So Paul is going to establish that. Church, God loves you just the way you are. But He loves you way too much to leave you the way you are. God loves me just the way I am, but He loves me too much to leave me this way. Well, aren't we doing pretty good? Aren't we living for the Lord? Aren't we growing in grace? Absolutely. But tomorrow, I hope I'm more like Jesus than I was today. Today, I hope I'm more like Christ than I was yesterday. That's the process of sanctification. In Romans chapter 8, and verse 29, we are told as believers that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. His reason for saving you was to make you more like Jesus. The word Christian means Christ-like, Christ One. We're to look more like Jesus. We don't all have to have the same personality, and we don't all have to have the same spiritual gifts. We'll see that there's a, 
wonderful thing called body life. And, and as different members, we all take on different aspects of the personality of the church and different aspects of the personality of Christ. But with our faith and our convictions, we're becoming more Christ-like every day. Fourteen years ago, we bought our first home after renting for a long period of time when we first got married. Fourteen years ago, we got our, our first home there in Comer. And it was after we bought the house and a, and a few good rains had come along that we discovered that, wow, this house is built where there used to be a dumping ground. This house was built where people used to just kind of come down, to, before the road was paved, when it was a dirt road, people used to come and just kind of throw their trash out. And some of you have heard me complain about that and fuss about that, but every time we would get a good rain, there would be more milk of magnesia bottles. Jack Daniels bottles in the preacher's yard, you believe that? Medicine bottles from 1940-something. I mean, every time it would rain, new stuff would uh, appear in our yard. You try to cover it up with grass seed, it wouldn't last long. Constantly new things being revealed. As a matter of fact, when we first moved there, it, those revelations would take place and we would say, man, there is trash everywhere. And, and you could fill up a pickup truck full of stuff that you were picking up out of the yard. Over time, it began to disappear a little bit. But today, every time we get a good rain, and we've had a few lately, every time we get a good rain today, there's, there's still a few pieces of the trash that, that will appear. A, a piece of a carpet remnant. I don't know if it's from Savannah Valley or not, Curtis, but little pieces of carpet from way back when. An old coat. I keep waiting to find that $100 bill left in a pocket somewhere. But stuff will wash up and we have to pick it up again. And, and on top of that, even though that's kind of dissipating and now, now it's a little bit more difficult to find those things after a good rain than it used to be, there's still some folks, I believe there are some folks that that their heart is so far from God that they say to themselves, the preacher lives there, I think I will throw my beer bottle out this my window right here. Or maybe it's just their last shot before they get to Highway 98. I don't know, but man, on top of having to clean out all that other junk, there are people that actually just want to throw their garbage in my yard. And I think they get a kick out of it. I don't know. Sometimes I get in the flesh just thinking about what they're doing and how I really want to handle it. Our lives spiritually are the same way. When the water of God's Word begins to wash over us, it reveals some things that aren't pleasant. The garbage of this world. When the water of God's Word washes over us, we begin to say, you know what? My life used to be a dumping ground, and there's still some old stuff that's got to be dealt with. And as we go through 1 Corinthians, be patient with this preacher as I deal with things in my life, but as I point out some things that are in your life. Some of you are so wonderful, you'll come and you'll shake my hand and you'll say, thank you, preacher, you stepped on my toes today. Others of you will probably dodge me and say, oh me, I don't like his preaching. But if it's the Word of God that's washing over us, not the opinions of a pastor, if it's the Word of God that's washing over us, then we'll want to see the garbage and pick it up. And, and then when this world comes along, because we have to drive down the highways and byways of this world, when this world comes along and the devil himself wants to throw his beer bottles in your yard, when he wants to throw his trash in your heart, sanctification says, you're going to recognize it when it happens. And you're going to say, that, that's not clean. That's not right. I've got to get that out. I've got to turn that TV show off. 
I've got to change the radio station. I've got to break this unholy habit in my life. There's got to be changes that take place. And I believe that every single one of us, because none of us, even the Apostle Paul would say that I haven't arrived, but I press on toward the high call of God in Christ Jesus. If Paul had not arrived, I doubt that any of us have arrived. So that means every one of us will find areas of the, as the water of God's Word washes over us and, and does a sanctifying work in us that we all say, you know what, that's got to change. That has to change. And only by the grace of God, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God will it change. But I believe with all my heart, wonderful changes will take place when we yield to this process. That's the process of sanctification. Let me ask you, where do you stand as far as that foundation? Do you know that you know that you know that you've experienced salvation? Do you have a new life in Him? What about service? Have you found your place of service? Do you know that area of service in God's kingdom where you say, hey, it may be hard work, but I have been gifted and called and find great energy from God when I do this for His glory. Your place of service in the local church. And then, and finally, this process of sanctification, which every one of you who have already named the name of Christ as Savior and Lord are in this process. In that process, are you willing to surrender yourself to the Lordship of Christ, to the Word of God, and say, God, as you point out things in my life that need to change, I am willing, I am open for you to make those changes in me. Where are you at when it comes to that foundation? Will you bow your heads with me this morning?